How's everybody? <laughs> I'm glad to be here. I'm really excited about this weekend. Um, so listen to uh, the Word of God. Jesus, using the words of Isaiah the prophet and turning them on himself, speaks of himself about his calling and his coming, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. I suppose um, if you wanted to boil down the essence of all good news, it would come down to God's saving, recovering power. Freedom that he provides for, for sin and sinners. And so I, I'm going to give you a little tip on the inside of every sermon. Every sermon is trying to get you to see that God's love superabounds over all the garbage. And that's, that's where we go in every topic. So when I sat down with uh, Paul and his team to talk about this weekend, it, it was no surprise to me that what we ended up with was a discussion on the love of God and how it frees us from things. And clearly there's so many things we're afraid of and we only have three sessions together or so, so we can't unpack every fear, but we're going to deal with some of those today um, and even tomorrow. The good news that Jesus was referring to from, quoting Isaiah, is the good news that God loves you. And you saying that, um, it's hard to put into words the, the forever, permanent, eternal, before the foundations of the world for all rest of time, love. It, it is uh, beyond description, but it is our attempt to describe it. And, and the reality of it is that that kind of affection from God in spite of ourselves is this thing that really is a, a freedom from oppression. Now, we get to talk about what oppresses us a little bit. And so t- tomorrow night, um, when we wrap up, at least when I'm done doing what I'm doing, m- my attempt is going to try to drag us all to a really beautiful picture of the love of God. Like, if we can really see how much he loves us, then we can put in context all the other things that wear us out. Uh, Tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about um, the sufficiency of God's love and how it deals with our fear of man. And tonight, my attempt is to try to talk about the anxious heart. Um, The song that that you guys sang just a second ago is is the picture when Jesus says, do not worry, I mean, that's a, that's a, hall, that's a big, tall command uh, for perpetual warriors, and yet that's what he says. And so we need to deal with that. But I'll just tell you, uh, sometimes you go to retreats, especially if they're age-graded like this one is, or like any of them that you go to, whether it was when you were in high school or when you're in college or even when you're married and they hone in on particular things to your, your demographic, right? Well, great news. None of this is, is specifically to your demographic, The issue of fear, the issue of God's love for you, the issue of anxiety, the issue of fear of man are issues that go everywhere all the time. They last forever. Your parents have it. Your grandparents have it. If you have kids someday, they'll have it. Everybody has it. And so this isn't necessary to your generation. It is is to the heart of man. And so that's why we want to talk about really practical. Let me ask you a question. Please don't answer if... If you don't know what this means, and if you don't care what I'm about to ask, but I'd love to know, is Jesus your king? Okay. What comes to your mind when I talk about the kingship of Jesus? 
If you just let it wander creatively to kingship, what do you come to? I'm gonna confess one of my limitations is I have a hard time seeing things, words like that, pictures like that, without using already experienced versions. So there's, I would call it heretical imagination, to be honest with you. When I picture a king, I can't help but think, oh, I've seen a king in that movie. I've seen a king kind of portrayed in this kind of particular thing. And I kind of relate those things uh, to the story. Come on in, guys. How many of you have seen Braveheart? Okay, you should. It's awesome. Um, well, there's a king in there, Edward I. They call him Longshanks. I suppose if there's a picture of a bad king, that'd be it. But at least he's a king. And, and there's something about his behavior that I've always, by, I guess, habit, have attributed kingship with, okay? And it would be the fact that they use their power to create anxiety in their subjects, like everything about Longshanks was about oppression to, to create fear so that he could get what he wanted, right? Isn't that a fair way to assess it? And I suppose that's, that's somewhat of, of, I suppose, pictures of kings throughout the generations. They're, they're scary people in some ways. They keep their subjects in a constant state of fear and anxiety for a purpose. Because I can get compliance. If they're afraid, I can get what I want. Now... I am not connecting King Jesus to that version of kingship, not whatsoever. In fact, if there's anything, the antithesis of, of that kind of thing, it is the fact that Jesus is a totally different kind of king. He uses his kingship to do just the opposite, to free his subjects from worry. The opposite of every other kingship uh, that you've ever heard of. Our king doesn't need to keep us anxious to establish his power and his greatness. He uses his power and his greatness to free us from fear. A completely different kind of king. And so we're, we're kind of leaning into uh, the picture of this king and his love for us and affections for us. And, and how practical it gets to to our life and our living. So today we're going to talk about, or tonight, we're going to talk about this issue of anxiety. You got a Bible. I'd love you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, a very familiar passage. It's probably, no doubt, where <clears throat> that song was written from. Matthew 6, Jesus teaching the greatest sermon ever. He deals with lots of different particulars, but in this, this section that we're in today, he takes the context of what our wandering heart wants and what our wandering heart fears, and he packages all into a subject matter that leaves us with a commandment. And the commandment is very simple. Do not worry. Really easy to say, a whole other matter to try to obey that thing. But let's, let's look at this passage. I'm going to read kind of sort of around some things. I'm going to start in verse 19, which, which uh, is in the section, if you're heading your Bible, that says, do not lay up treasures. This is another little truth that Jesus was teaching about the, the wandering heart of man, how it loves to treasure the wrong things. I'm going to read verses 19 through 21, then skip to verse 24, and then grab the text at 25 and read through the end of the chapter. So this is... This is the words of Christ. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where neither thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will devote it to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. 
what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own, its own trouble. I'm going to make some assumptions, okay, and I think I'm right, but... but let, let me make them anyway. I'm, I'm convinced no matter where you stand with the person of Christ, whether you would call yourself a follower, whether you would call yourself a skeptic, I don't care. I think this is universally true that everybody in this room understands that to murder someone is wrong. Just an assumption. <laughs> that we know that to steal is wrong or to lie is wrong or to commit adultery is wrong. We could just add all the biggies. We just put all the biggie sins up there and I would imagine everybody, no matter who you are, go, yeah, that's probably wrong. And the proof is how you behave if you do it. Because if you commit any of those sins, not that you're a murderer, but if you've committed, let's say, stealing, you don't tell anybody. We go underground when we commit these sins, these big sins. We don't, we don't broadcast it. We don't, we don't want to be known as this. We try to run from that reputation no matter what we struggle with. But isn't it interesting? Of all the sins that, that the, the scriptures command us not to commit, this particular one, we have no problem being known for it. Of all the sins that, that we could commit, we, we almost broadcast this one. We use different methods to, to tell you how much I worry. I love to use my platforms and social media to, to worry out loud. I like to worry with my friends. I worry with my family. I, I worry. That's what I do. We have no problem with this because this particular sin is the reasonable one. It's the acceptable one. And the reason why is everybody does it. It's universal. Moms and dads and grandparents and children alike, everybody, people who should know better, they still worry and are anxious in their heart. Okay? Here in this passage, Jesus is teaching his followers that worry is a serious problem. And if you take it in the context to the paragraph before when Jesus was talking about what you should treasure, treasure, put your treasure, put your heart, put your affections in heaven, you won't be disappointed, it will not be taken away. He puts that whole thing in context. And, and he says, here's the problem with worry. Worry is a sign that you're treasuring the wrong thing. That's why it fits back to back to that section. It's the exposure that you can't obey the first command. Don't put your treasures in the wrong places. So I think it's true, uh, if we're honest, when we worry, it's never about the kingdom of God. I don't have to worry about that. The king is in charge of the kingdom of God. His will will be done. I don't stress about what God is doing in the world, but I stress about what I am. And, and that, that is the problem. Jesus goes after this issue because he knows that worry is ultimately worldliness. It's the opposite of his commandment in the first paragraph. 
I am treasuring the wrong things. And when the wrong things get touched or bruised or sick or taken, guess what I do? The only thing I can do, I worry. I worry about those things. So it's like there's a, a moment of spiritual schizophrenia for a second. We, at that moment of worry, have a tendency to act like there is no God. Like he's not sovereign. He's not in control. He doesn't know what he's doing. That somehow this treasure is greater than that treasure. We get totally lost. I do too. I'm not saying this is your issue. This is our issue. This is the way it is for mankind who live this side of heaven with eyes that can't see all the things that God is doing. When it doesn't go my way, I use stress and anxiousness to, to, to manage it. So worry is much more serious than you could possibly fathom. And it's interesting to me that it doesn't matter what century you're in, doesn't matter where you pick up in history, it's there. This isn't a new invention. It's always been around. Doesn't matter, and by the way, it doesn't matter how much you have. I used to think, seriously, I used to think when I was first married, my problem was money. I had no money. I didn't have a job that made a lot of money. And I thought, well, I got to do this. And You know, if you're, if you're planning on getting married, if you've just been married, then one of the things you carry around with, man, I got to provide. I got to provide. There's a weight that's hard to explain. And you kind of, how do I do that? Well, money is the answer. And I always felt like I didn't have enough. And I used to look at my friends who made money. I thought, you know, if I can get there, no more stress. Well, I just, newsflash, I, I probably have gotten there in the last, you know, 35 years or whatever. But now I just have more to worry about. I got more. It's just more worry. And it's true of everybody. I don't know a single rich man who doesn't worry about his riches. It, it, you're not immune. No one's immune to this. It doesn't matter where you go. Worry is what we do. And here's why we worry. Worry isn't a circumstantial issue. It's a spiritual issue. That's why Jesus brings it up. If, if he wanted to fix our stress and having something would solve the stress, then our Father would give us that something. But it has nothing to do with our circumstance. It has everything to do with our hearts. That's why Jesus follows up this section on the, the teaching of the treasure by dealing with worry because he knows we treasure the wrong things and we worry about what we treasure. Does that make sense? It just lines up perfectly there. So um, I think there might be some who go, man, I'm not a stressor. I don't stress much. I mean, everyone's different. And, and everyone, I suppose, could say, um, you know, I'm a this level. I'm a level seven. I'm a level five worrier. Um, and you might even get to the place where you say, I'm not really that at all, so this doesn't apply to me. Let me just suggest to you, there's a, several types of worry. There's the one you probably already thought about. It's the bad day thing. It's when things go really wrong. That kind of worry, you know, the, the stress of sickness, that, that's a classic thing. I just went to the hospital this week to see a 42-year-old woman who had an aneurysm on Saturday night, and she was brain dead, and they were deciding to pull the plug, which they have, and this mother of three is gone from nothing to something. That right there, that story goes in everybody's worry bucket. And you start calculating what it would be like to live without, what it would be like to lose your wife or to lose your spouse or lose your friend. Couldn't survive that. And so we stress those things. Um, we worry about losing a job or, or losing a loved one or it goes on and on and on it goes. But there's another facet of worry and it's the kind of worry that grinds us in the ambition category like we're so convinced that we have a plan for our life a version of success a, a, a version of accomplishment that we try to control um, 
And so this issue belongs there too. We, we worry all over. And, and to be fair, I, I guess everyone worries. I guess it just depends on what stage you are in depending on what you worry about, right? So I know I feel like I'm building a case for worry and I'm looking at your eyes and you go, you're worried that I won't stop, but it's true. I see, I see it's in us. It's in all of us. But nevertheless, Jesus, right after this issue of heart affection, goes after the heart that worries. And I think it's important to deal with this command. It is a command. And the first thing that Jesus makes clear is you, you and I, if you follow Christ, it is not an acceptable sin. It's not reasonable. It isn't okay because everyone does it. The Father has commanded us not to, to worry. And so he makes that clear in verse 25, doesn't he? Where he says, don't worry. I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. And he goes on to describe different versions of life. Now, n- let me pause for a second and make something really clear. Here's what I'm not saying. And sometimes when I say don't worry, well, that's really easy for you to say. You don't know my story. So let me just tell you what I'm not saying. I am not saying that this kind of demeanor means you don't have to concern yourself with responsibilities. It's not what it means. If you plan to be a parent someday, it doesn't mean you don't have to provide for your kids or, or whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't mean um, that, that you don't have to earn a living. It doesn't mean that someday you're gonna have tr- that you're not going to have trouble because what God does for his children is make life perfect for you. Like there's never going to be a sickness for you. There's never going to be a need for you. So Christian, you got a great life. So therefore, don't worry. That's not even what he's saying here. In fact, that's what Jesus says in just the opposite in John 16. He says, I've said these things to you that you might have peace. Because in this world, you're going to have trouble, tribulation. And that's his promise. But his words are our peace, right? In the midst of trouble. So it's not like you're not going to experience it because you will, all right? So Jesus isn't saying don't worry because there's an absence of trouble. He's simply saying don't worry because there is the presence of God. And it's different. It's different than saying, well, life is perfect and I have nothing to worry about. No, no, you probably do. And you probably do more than I would even realize. What I'm trying to do and what we're going to do this whole weekend is push, push, push on the presence of God, the love of God, the affections of God in your life. So great, so grand that you'll look at all your troubles in view of the presence and the greatness and the love of God. You go, man, it pales by comparison. It is morphed. It is small compared to the love of God. Now, I think what Jesus does in this section from verse 25 to 34 is do a very logical, linear, which I love. If you're one of these people who love, make a case. Make a case for this command. Prove to me I need this command. Well, that's what Jesus does. He lays out a logical reason why you and I should not worry. But I want to just talk about why this might be a problem for us for a second. I think, to be fair, we have trust problems. Would you admit that? Like, do you ever think this? Like, I'm certain you were singing, he's a miracle God, he's a miracle, you sang it. And I, I kind of believed you. Like, I think you believe that. But have you ever thought this in your mind? Yeah, he could, but he probably won't for me. H- have you ever heard someone tell a story about God showing up and doing crazy things and go, I, w- I wish he'd do that for me. And, and, and that's true. I, I experienced that a lot in my life. And I wonder, well, maybe, maybe there's a version of prayer that I, that I don't have or or something like that. And so, to be fair, to be quite honest, if there's something to worry about, do I ever access this part of my mind that thinks, yeah, he could, but he probably won't? Yes, I do. 
And there are trust problems there. I can convince he's not interested or he's distracted or he's somewhere else and something more important or someone who loves him better than I do, he gives more affections for. I mean, all of this is twisted, by the way. But nevertheless, there's a trust problem, possibly. There's also this submission problem in our hearts, I, I would think. We, we say and we sing, we're really good at confessions with words to say, you're our king, Jesus, you're our king. But when it comes down to practical, we prefer to run the thing. Yeah, well, I want to call you king, but I'd prefer to be the king because I, I know what I'm doing. I know what I want. I, I know how things will be better for me, and so we'd like to control ourselves. So we have a submission problem. Would we admit that? I think there's another potential um, reason why it's difficult, and that's because we have a distortion problem. We live so close to our world that we want what it wants, and we seek the comfort that it provides, and we worry when it slips away. We're looking through a very distorted piece of glass. When we look at what the world offers and then we freak out about it not delivering, okay, that's a distortion problem. So I, I would suggest to you there's several reasons why it happens to us. But now let me get to why we can obey this commandment or at least why Jesus suggests it. From a logical standpoint, um, I'm, I'm going to lay down six things I think that I see here in order um, verse 25, Here, he, you want it pretty simple? Here's what it is. Jesus gives us the, the argument of priorities right out of the box. This is why you don't worry. Don't be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you drink, about your body, what you put on it. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? That's what he says. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. and They neither sow or reap or gather in barns and your heavenly father feeds them. Um, I don't want to be so small and naive to limit what Jesus is saying here to food, clothing, shelter. You tell me what fits in the category of what stresses you, and I'll put it on the list. Because that that's truly what Jesus is saying here. Isn't life more than a job? Isn't life more than a spouse? Isn't life more than that answer or that answer? I think that's what he's saying is that ultimately put it whatever you want on the list, whatever you perceive as your ultimate need. Their ultimate need were things really tangible, food, clothing, shelter. I mean, that seems like the basic needs. But you could put anything on there. It seems to me it's interesting, at least fascinating, that these words, although 2,000 years old, we are still stressed out over what I would call screwed up priorities Jesus says, life is more than things. What are your things? Life is more than that. But what are you, what are you told every day? <laughs> every day, all day, you're told that life is about things. You're sold things. Every, every advertisement, every commercial that you see is all about things. And in fact, they don't say it, but it's, it's in every commercial. Get this, have life. I mean, that's the essence of advertisement. And, and to be fair, we kind of live in that. Life is so much more than that, Jesus says. So live with right priorities. Isn't life more than fill in the blank? And I suppose you could just do this on your own. Sit in your room this weekend and put on your list your stressors and go, is life more than that? Be honest. Isn't life more than that? Because that's the question that Jesus would ask you. And he starts this logical understanding of why we shouldn't worry with just a conclusion that life, yes, is more than that. 
And if you want proof, all I got to do is give you another stress. And suddenly even the things you're stressed about now seem to dissipate because you'll buy brand new ones. So there's another argument he makes and it's the argument of a father's provision verses 26 through 28. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow or reap or gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Is this easy or what? All Jesus says is God provides for the animals. He provides for plant life. He uses lilies of the field and birds of the air to make a point of father's interest in that. And he calls him your heavenly father. And the argument he makes is that, now if he can do that for them and their creatures and their plant life and he's your father, don't you think he's watching? Don't you think he cares? Don't you think he provides? That's his point. Birds and flowers do not have a personal relationship through Jesus to the Father. You do. I do. That's his point. He's ours through Christ. Love before the foundations of the world and he takes care of us. And his point is, aren't you more valuable than they? So what is your stressor? Aren't you more valuable than it? Just fill in the blank, okay? This one even sounds a little bit sarcastic to me. Of course, uh, of course, more than plants of the, of the field or birds in the air. Okay, here's another argument. It is, it is just the argument of logic. It, verse 27, which of you can be, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Common sense, right? What good does worry do? Do you have an answer? Anybody got a good answer? I've got one. I, I have one because I asked my wife, who is a nutritionist. And I said, honey, tell me, what good does worry do? And she says, well, it'll kill you. <laughs> so if you want to kill yourself, then there you go. Sneaky little way to do it. Here was my wife's list. Here's the things that she has seen from the medical stuff she studied about what stress does to people. Anxiety, depression, weight problems, Autoimmune diseases, skin conditions, reproductive issues, pain, heart disease, digestive problems, sleep problems, cognitive and memory problems, to name a few. For people who worry and stress. Isn't that weird? If God, if the creator who holds us together by the power of his word was going to send a message to created things that this behavior is bad for you, <laughs> and this is the outcome of worry, do you think we can conclude that this is probably not a good action to participate in? Stress and worry is not good. I found this, and it's not anything to do with a believer, but I find it interesting that the University of Wisconsin did a study about how people worry and how they stress about. And they concluded that 40% of things that we worry about never ever happen, total waste of time. 30% of our worrying is about things that have already happened that can't change whatsoever because they're already gone. Um, 10% were petty worries, meaning small things, kind of an OCD kind of version of stress. And, and then they would say 12% uh, 
needless health worries, and they only gave 8% to legitimate worry. Like, well, man, that's a problem. You, should, you probably should worry about that one. And this is a secular article um, talking about that. But that's their conclusion. Most of the time, it's just an absolute waste of time. That, that, is, exactly, that is exactly Jesus' point. Let me give you another argument. Verse 32. It's the argument of faith. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God. The word for Gentiles, and this is not meant to be offensive, a better word for Gentiles is pagan. Uh, the word pagan just means a denier of God. It, it is a person who um, refuses to recognize his authority, his power, his existence, whatever. Uh, and all Jesus is saying is when we worry, we're behaving like we don't believe. Pretty simple. We're behaving like we don't believe. Unbelievers are consumed with things. They have to be because there's nothing else. Do you understand? If you write off God's affections and God's faithfulness and God's long-tenured relationship with us for all eternity, time and eternity, if you just say it doesn't exist, what else do you have? You better make something now. It better last. It better survive. And you better live and be healthy because there's no other version of heaven other than the one you got right now. And so... I would suggest to you there's a lot to worry about if you don't know Christ. You carry the weight of your sin all by yourself. Shame is on you because it's on you. There's no place to give it. If you don't trust in Christ, there's a hopelessness about tomorrow. You're not certain about it. There is a kind of a purposelessness of today. You don't have answers. In fact, you try to fix your problems and the ways you fix your problems create more problems and it just is an exasperation kind of a thing. Well, I, I'm just going to suggest to you, I think what Jesus says is that this is a, the most anti-God way you can live, to think and stress. It's as if he doesn't exist. Um, so let, let me add one more part. Verse 32, it's the argument of relationship. And I've said it once already. You probably heard it, but I'm going to emphasize it now. Verse 32, it also says it in verse uh, 26. Where in Jesus' mind, he says, uh, for the Gentiles seek after these things, but your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. This This is really important. We don't worry for one major reason. Because our well-being is personal for God. He's our father. I'm so, I don't think there's any, other than Paul, I don't think there's any other fathers in here. Jed's probably, yeah, Jed's a father. <laughs> um, let me just tell you about being a father. And I know there are different versions out there. Some fathers jack it up. But let's just use the best version of one, okay? Let's just all hover in on when dads do what they're supposed to do. Okay, of all the, the pictures that God would choose to use to describe his affections for his people, he uses the good father as one. Fathers are committed, they're faithful, they're compassionate and caring, they're, they're aware, they know the needs. They know. They're precise in, in their response, perfect in their response. They're gracious. They always give more than is deserved, right? And here in the grandest way, our Father in Heaven is the ultimate Father. More so than any human father can try to jump to those expectations, our Heavenly Father wrote the book on faithfulness, compassion, gracious, all everywhere, all the time, aware of your issues and your needs. 
and clearly capable of meeting them. One last argument. It's the argument of speculation. Verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Right? Sufficient for the day of its own trouble. This is a really common sense thing, but Jesus, again, isn't denying that trouble will come our way. He just simply says, you don't know what kind of trouble and you don't know when. And speculating on trouble is a pointless endeavor. You don't know. You don't know those things. And so he basically has one commandment. You ready for this? Leave tomorrow alone. That's all it is. Just leave tomorrow alone. Let every day live for itself and leave tomorrow alone. There, there is one last thing I've got to mention. It's the last commandment um, that follows this instruction on worry where he says um, in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All these things are the things you perceive that you need. Okay, the father knows your needs and he can meet your needs. He's all powerful to do that. So let me just give you this overarching truth of this entire sermon that, that Jesus is teaching right here. Okay, it's pretty simple. Our highest purpose is to live for one thing, and that's the kingdom of God, period. You want to sort out stresses? Well, then all you have to do is live exclusively for the kingdom of God. That's what he says. Just stop and start asking. Do this. This is going to be a good exercise. If you're stressing, if there's a worry, stop, give yourself a pause, and start asking yourself some very really practical questions, right? What's the most important thing in your life? Ask it and then answer it. Be honest. Is God's kingdom first? Do you live and long for the rule of the king in your life? Is that what you're all about? Is your highest aim, his highest goal for you? I mean, these are really convicting questions. I'm being honest, man. When I'm when I'm upset about something, you know how I show worry? I don't cry. I get mad. I don't know if you can relate to that, but the way I try to control things is get mean because when things are under my control, I stress less. I have to ask myself the question, am I living for his highest goal? Is his uh, agenda my highest aim? Here's, here's what I know. All that the kingdom is and all that God has provided for it is already mine in Christ. I, I, there's nothing else to do. There's nothing else to work for. There's nothing that God's holding out on. There's not like, hey, get here and you'll graduate into the kingdom of God and then I'll give you some good stuff. I already have the fullness of the kingdom right now. My problem is I prefer another one. And when Jesus lays down this commandment in the midst of this other, do not worry, he says, listen, just seek first the kingdom. You'll never be disappointed. You seek anything else, of course you'll be let down. Of course it'll leak through your fingers like sand. Of course you'll be let down. You'll get sick. If you put your values and your treasures in the wrong place, it'll happen. Yes, you'll be let down. Seek first the kingdom. No broken heart ever. It's that simple, so you have to ask yourself the question. I, I want to make certain you get this, that you don't miss the order here of what he says, right? He doesn't just say, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He says to seek it first. First, before anything. This is huge. Like, if, you could, if we could really do this, 
I could almost leave you with a promise this weekend. You won't know worry. If we sought the kingdom of God first, above your job, above your future marriage or your marriage now, above your bank account, above your health, above your future, above your success, above, 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 whatever. If you seek the kingdom of God before, uh, you're not gonna know that stress. And let me just finish with this, all right? And then we're gonna pray. I want you to know that seeking the kingdom isn't a place. To seek the kingdom is a person. It's Jesus. Seek Jesus first. The whole thing comes down to the person of Christ, who he is to you. Now, I don't know where you stand with God. I don't know how offensive the word Jesus is to you when I say it. I don't know if you've been churched in your life and you're totally worn out and gassed. That's a, that's a common tale. But what I'm telling you, what I'm convicted to the core about is that Jesus truly is our greatest need. He is our greatest provision. He is our greatest fan, our greatest love. He is it. And hopefully in the next couple of messages, we get to continue to talk about that. And you get to see the king in different lights and why he manages and, and deals with our lives in certain ways. But this isn't about going someplace. This is about having someone. It's the king, King Jesus. Would you do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of ask a series of questions and then I'm just going to pray for us and our answers. <laughs> And I, I, if, as much as you can honor me in this, I would really appreciate it. If you can truly sort out this question in your head when I ask it, um, that would be good. Is your king, whatever it is, whoever it is, is he sufficient for your problems? Is your king's love for you greater than your insecurities? Is your king's control over your life greater than your control? Are your king's promises reliable? Do you believe that your king is working all things, not some things, but all things for your good. Do you believe in King Jesus? God, our prayer is that we would know the king, that we would know Jesus. God, in light of who he is for us and with us, in context with all the other things that we care about, it just, it seriously just um, crushes fear and worry and anxiousness. But sometimes it's hard for us to live in that kingdom all the time. So Father, sort our hearts tonight, sift us. Where we've been stressed, it's, it's because we've followed another Ruler, So I pray, God, you'd help us seek the King Jesus as the ultimate 
lover of our souls, that we find our satisfaction, our joy, and our peace with him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you.